At the highest level of mixed martial arts, it's standard practice to be familiar with your opponent. Beyond the physical grind of a training camp, it's normal for fighters and coaches to spend hours studying tape, looking for any thread to pull and exploit when it's go time. So the mind games between camps is always about getting the edge by not only looking for weaknesses on the other side, but limiting those weaknesses presented as well. Whenever a new wrinkle is revealed, it not only entertains our bloodlust, but also sets up these athletes to achieve greatness. I'm Tommy from MMA On Point, and here are 10 style transformations nobody was ready for. Number 10. Ilya Teporia's KO Power To those unfamiliar with Ilya Teporia, his submission victory over highly regarded BJJ black belt Bryce Mitchell was quite a shock. I mean, just ask Joe Rogan. He sadly seemed a bit ill-informed on the matter. But the fact that he was able to get it done on the ground like this is so incredible. This is Bryce Mitchell's world. We were saying he probably shouldn't be here. But it was actually his KO power that developed late, not his already existing high-level BJJ game. In fact, the Matador began his MMA career with seven straight submission victories, with only one opponent making it to the second round. And this goes all the way back to his Greco-Roman background in school. Alongside his brother, they also became the first BJJ black belts from Georgia. So, through Cage Warriors and Brave, several regional promotions, it's that ground game that he was primarily known for. That was until he suddenly earned a scary KO victory at Brave CF29 against Steven Gonsalves. I mean, just listen to this. To get his back off that cage. Oh, he gets caught! So, for those who were aware of Teporia before that coming out party against Mitchell at UFC 282, the string of consecutive knockout victories had to come as somewhat of a surprise. When faced with Ryan Hall, another submission mastermind, Teporia elected to not engage much in that range until the ground and pound opportunity presented itself. So, you'd be forgiven for thinking he was a striker like Rogan did. And this is precisely why he's now known today as one of the scariest fighters at 145 or 155. Number 9. Dan Henderson's H Bomb. When we think of Dan Henderson, the first thing that usually comes to mind is Shuffle Shuffle H-Bomb. That destructive right hand gave us the unforgettable KO of Michael Bisbee at UFC 100, snatched the Strikeforce light heavyweight title from Rafael Cavalcante, and rendered Fedor Emelianenko unconscious. But that wasn't always the case. Before he was known to the masses as Hendo, fight fans called him another surprising nickname, Decision Dan. Perhaps it wasn't the fairest of aliases. While Decision Wins made up the bulk of his victories in the first several years of his career, he authored a decent amount of finishes, including a first-round KO of Henzo Gracie at Pride 13, and two first-round finishes at Pride Bushido 9. However, the fans were probably more fixated on the extended and mostly uneventful stretches of inactivity or the disputed nature of his split decision wins. Whether it was deserved or not, it took years and some incredible violence to shed that moniker, snatching the title in a brawl against Vanderlei Silva and an overall stylistic shift to relying more on dishing out damage than positional control. By the time he dropped the forearm on Bisbean in that aforementioned all-time great knockout, the H-bomb was a part of the MMA dictionary. Number 8. Fabricio Verdum's Genius Stand-Up When we think of the name Fabricio Verdum, the first thing that likely comes to mind is his incredibly high-level Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. With submission wins over Fedor Emelianenko, Alistair Overeem, Cain Velasquez, and Antonio Rodrigo Nogueira, there's a strong argument to be made for him sitting at the top of the heavyweight GOAT list. But just focusing on that aspect of his skill set would do his legacy a disservice. Riding the high of that upset Fedor win that snapped the Russians' epic win streak, Verdum approached the rematch against Overeem in the Strikeforce heavyweight Grand pre-quarterfinal, as if the only path to victory was pulling guard and getting a tap. This led to Vaikavalo flopping around on the ground, attempting to lure the Dutch kickboxer to the floor with taunts throughout the slow-paced decision loss. Give me a hug. No way. Come here. I'm not coming over there. Let's go. Forget it. Pronto. 
just eight months later against Roy Nelson at UFC 143, Verdum looked like a completely different fighter. Instead of passively expecting a submission to fall into his lap, he went on the offensive, breaking Nelson down with high-volume Muay Thai strikes for the 15-minute duration. Perhaps the most obvious shift came when he fought Mark Hunt for the interim heavyweight belt at UFC 180. Instead of achieving victory by exploiting the obvious weakness in Hunt's submission defense, he landed a sensational flying knee to get his first taste of UFC gold. Might have fallen a bit too in love with the striking against Stipe. Number 7. Charles Oliveira's Stand-Up Since making his UFC debut in 2010, Charlie Olives has always been an action fighter. It's just that in recent years, that type of action has evolved. Currently holding the record for the most submission wins in the UFC, it's no secret that Dubronx is a nightmare to be on the ground with. But on the feet, he could be pressured and compromised into recklessly attempting to grapple his way out of trouble, as he did against Anthony Pettis and Jim Miller, or simply being finished like against Cowboy Cerrone. It wasn't until he left his longtime team for shoot box that the Brazilian jiu-jitsu expert began fully rounding out his game. That transformation felt complete when he stepped in against Kevin Lee in a scheduled five-round main event. Lee's dangerous combination of effective striking and high-pressure wrestling would have likely been kryptonite for Dubronx at an earlier stage in his career. Instead, he was able to meet the Motown phenom fist for fist without overextending, gassing, or leaving openings. The lack of crowd noise from the empty arena helped punctuate the effectiveness of his punches. Maybe if the whole world wasn't ending because of COVID at the same time, we would have taken more notice. Number 6. Johnny Hendricks's Left When you hear of a fighter that was a four-time NCAA All-American wrestler and a two-time champion that began his MMA journey at a gym run by a jiu-jitsu expert, it's only natural to imagine a suffocating and dominant ground game built off those previously acquired skills. That's exactly what was expected of Johnny Hendricks. As Hendricks made the walk for his UFC debut, Joe Rogan and Mike Goldberg spoke of those credentials and how it would turn him into a formidable force on the floor. We've said it many, many times, that is the greatest base for mixed martial arts success. Although he would TKO Amir Sadala just a minute into the bout at UFC 101, it wouldn't be until the next year that he and his camp at Team Takedown would appreciate just how crushing his power was. Thanks to a carnival-style punch meter at a UFC fan expo, Hendricks had an idea of how hard he could hit compared to the bigger men in the promotion. The welterweight set the record, despite eventual light heavyweight champion John Jones and heavyweight standout Matt Mitrione having taken turns before him. Soon after, that dynamite in the left hand became a focal point in his game and in the defense of his opponent. That weapon catapulted him into the title picture with significant finishes of Martin Campman and, of course, John Fitch. Number 5. Nick Diaz's KO Power When Nick Diaz made his way into the UFC, the talk was all about his Brazilian jiu-jitsu base. Nick Diaz! Coming out of a gym owned and operated by a member of the Gracie family, it only made sense to expect the Stockton native to rely primarily on his submission prowess. When he debuted against Jeremy Jackson at UFC 44, the general consensus was that the only path to victory involved forcing his opponent into a ground fight, and that's exactly what he did, winning by third-round armbar. Meanwhile, Robbie Lawler garnered attention for being the exact opposite, a heavy-handed striker who was capable of knocking out anyone in front of him. So, when the two paired off at UFC 47, it was billed as the classic striker versus grappler scenario. The commentary team mentioned that Diaz was trying to improve his boxing during camp, but no one outside of Caesar Gracie's team predicted what would follow. From the opening bell, Diaz walked Lawler down, taunted him, and outclassed him on the feet, leading to a stunning second-round knockout. Yeah, well, you know, I, I box. I do a lot of boxing. I try to sell it, you know, just because it says jiu-jitsu on my clothes, you know, it, I'm a fighter. Number four, Boss Root and Submission Master. With black belts in karate and taekwondo, plus experience as a kickboxer, it's no wonder that Boss Rutten is remembered in part for his devastating striking game. In addition to being among the first fighters to vary his targets as opposed to strictly headhunting, the man practically wrote the book on attacking the liver. 
And that is the liver shot that finished the fight and that broke his liver. But it wasn't until his third submission loss, by way of a King of Pancrase Ken Shamrock knee bar, that El Guapo would obsessively train to improve his grappling skills. That 101 loss at Pancrase Eyes of Beast 2 inspired Rutan to at least temporarily abandon striking training in favor of two or three submission sessions a day. When considering the three consecutive tap-out victories with an average time of 151 upon his return, it's clear that the extra ground game paid off. Placing opponents between a rock and a hard place, Boss forced them to choose whether or not they'd be cussed or liver kicked until their bodies gave out, choked unconscious, or had a limb bent the wrong way. This carried him on a 22-fight unbeaten streak, which included winning titles in Pancrase and the UFC. Number 3. Henry Cejudo's Evolution In case you haven't heard, Henry Cejudo was pretty damn good at wrestling. Uh... Yeah. So good, in fact, that he won a gold medal in the 2008 Summer Olympics in Beijing. But of course, that little-known fact has been something the incredibly humble Cejudo doesn't like talking about. Needless to say, that world-class ability suited him well in his mixed martial arts career. As he did against Chris Carriasso at UFC 185, he could control the fight with takedowns, top control, and clinch work against some of the best in the flyweight division. And despite having experience as an amateur boxer, his stand-up game was considered an afterthought. After running into a brick wall of knees in a quick finish against champion Demetrius Johnson at UFC 197, his rebound performance versus Joseph Benavidez saw him focus more on his boxing. With an emphasis on sitting down on his punches, it was clear that his approach was different. However, perhaps it wasn't enough as the constant movement and variety of attacks from Benavidez gave him problem. More change was needed. In his next bout, a main card matchup against Wilson Hayes at UFC 215, Cejudo opted to take a karate stance and use a loose and movement-heavy blended striking attack. Not only did he win a performance bonus for a second-round TKO, but it also set up these strategic foundations for avenging the DJ loss and becoming a double weight class champion. Number two, Kamaru Usman's hands. It's no secret if you're fighting Kamaru Usman, be ready to defend the takedown. The former collegiate wrestling champion has shown off his pedigree on the mat time and time again in the octagon. While using that skill to neutralize a talented kickboxer like Leon Edwards in their first fight before, you know, seems pretty logical. Usman's wrestling has been dominant enough to control other seasoned grapplers. Look no further than him shutting down submission wizard Damian Maya and the complete destruction of fellow collegiate wrestling standout Tyron Woodley. So it seemed to be an obvious path to victory against someone like Jorge Masvidal, credited by many as one of the best pure boxers in MMA. 20 pounds in six days. Of course, Usman would rely on his ability to smother and take down to handle the American top team mainstay. When the two met a second time at UFC 261, despite the deadly jab he displayed against Gilbert Burns, the general consensus was the champ would rinse and repeat his wrestling-centric approach. Not only did Usman show off the striking skills he'd honed under the tutelage of Trevor Whitman, he was able to knock out the notoriously difficult-to-finish Masvidal with a picture-perfect right cross. Number 1. Patient Francis Ngannou A quick glance at the resume of Francis Ngannou and you'll notice the amount of fast finishes. Typically, if you're a judge assigned to a bout with the Predator, chances are your scorecard will be completely irrelevant. His rise to the top of the UFC's heavyweight division seemed like a continual exercise in clocking out early with four consecutive knockouts within the first two minutes, leading up to his first title shot at UFC 220 against Stipe Miocic. The former NCAA wrestler was able to use the challenger's quick starts and hyper-aggressive style to his advantage, grinding out a clear-cut decision victory. Ngannou's rebound fight against fellow heavy-handed highlight reel machine Derek Lewis not only failed to capitalize on the manic violence promised by the booking, but also resulted in another L. But after making a permanent move to extreme couture, Ngannou yet again blitzed his way to a title shot with four consecutive 
consecutive first round KOs. In an appropriate twist of circumstances, he'd first show off that newly acquired patience at UFC 260 in a rematch with Miocic. Instead of going for a stunning finish and opening himself up for takedowns and extended grappling exchanges, Ngannou managed to pick his shots wisely until finding the perfect moment to strike on an uncharacteristically impatient Miocic in the second round. But of course, a technical kickboxer like Cyril Gaon would give the new champion the perfect opportunity to his frightening knack of ending the night early. Nope, instead he would take a calculated wrestling-based approach to defend the belt over the entire five rounds. I want to give a huge shout out to Ant Walker for writing the script for this video, Luke Taylor for the incredible edit, and Ben Rosette for those tunes we all know and love. Follow them on their socials and shower them with praise. If you like and subscribe as well, you've really just done the most today. Thank you. What fighter changeup rocked your world? Let us know in the comments underneath the video. Appreciate you watching this one. Take it easy, fight fans.